What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we resume our series on the book of Revelation. We took the last couple of weeks off, which I'm sure some of you appreciated, especially if this book isn't your thing. But I have found our look at Revelation refreshing. I've always had in my head that this book is all about doom and destruction, but we've actually seen something else. First was a beautiful vision of Christ, reminding us no matter how much we suffer, Jesus is with us. Next were the seven cities, each with different problems, but the key was a touching reminder to love like you did at the beginning. Care for others like God cares for us. Then we had the opening of seven seals and how the four horse horsemen of the apocalypse remind us of our free will. We can either help or hurt people. We can choose good or we can turn away from God and hurt others. The writer reminds us that even as others use their power for evil, God's children choose good. The final message before our break was about the dragon, a beast, and seven trumpets. We focused on the fifth trumpet that revealed God's mercy. It looks bad, with the the vision describing the earth and people being destroyed, but it was a vision. The point was to draw all people back to God. Ultimately, it was a message of God's mercy for the world and that there is another chance available for all of us. That vision in chapter 11 was actually the end of the story of John's revelation and Christ's return. Now, you might find that confusing because revelation goes on for another 11 chapters. So how can that be the end? The answer is that John goes back. He is retelling the story from another angle, and he begins with symbolic, a symbolic story of Mary giving birth to Jesus. Then war breaks out, and, evil, and the evil empire seems to be winning, as the mark of the beast, 666, means some will refuse to worship God. But Eric is going to share with us about a remnant Some will still serve the one true God. In fact, 144,000 will. They are the redeemed of the Lord, and three messages will be presented. Let's hear about them in the book of the Revelation, chapter 14, verses 1 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then I looked, and there was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who have been redeemed from the earth. And it is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. These follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They have been redeemed from humankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found. They are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. 
Then another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then another angel, a third, followed them, crying with a loud voice, Those who worship the beast and its image, and receive a mark on their foreheads or on their hands, they will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured unmixed into the cup of his anger, and they will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. There is no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image and for anyone who receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and hold fast to the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who from now on die in the Lord. Yes, says the spirit, they will rest from their labors for their deeds will follow them. And from Daniel 7, 13 and 14, as I watched in the night visions, I saw one like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven and he came to the ancient one and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away and his kingship is one that shall never be destroyed. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. As we consider this terrible judgment on Babylon, help us, Lord, not to be complacent, but to keep striving after you, to keep moving toward the life you would have for us. Soften our hearts to hear your word today. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I remember the first time I drove to New York City when I was a teenager. It was back when I lived in Buffalo, so it was about a seven-hour drive to get there. We left late at night and arrived at a friend's house on Long Island at about five in the morning. Instead of sleeping, we decided to head straight into the city by train. As we got to the platform, people were already boarding the train for work, We ran as fast as we could and just barely made it on as the doors were closing. As we came into the city, it felt like the place was alive, like we were alive, even though we hadn't slept at all the night before. We didn't have any real plans when we got there. I think we were there because it was someone's birthday, so going there in the first place was just on the spur of the moment. We thought about going to a Broadway show, but it was too expensive. We didn't do any sightseeing either. We just hung out, ate, and breathed in the city life. I remember this Polaroid photo being taken and looking at it afterward feeling so cool. I was at the center of the universe, part of the scenery that made New York the greatest city in the world. Big cities like that can be intoxicating, can't they? with everything happening there, from its buildings and culture and art to all that it represents of financial and political power. New York, for many, is the most powerful city there is, with the stock exchange trading $24 trillion and one of the largest populations on the planet. 
For as much as people love a city like New York, though, it's also not too hard to find some problems with it. If you commute to work in the city, you might complain about the congestion from all the traffic or maybe the pollution from so many vehicles and industries crammed in such a small place. Uh, There's the problem of violence, affordable housing, and especially in the last few months, integrating new immigrants. Even something as simple as how fast a disease spreads with such high population density may lead some people to say the city isn't just filled with problems, but that the city is the problem. A lot of the tensions we see here in the United States tend to fit what is called the urban-rural divide. If you're in the big city, you tend to be liberal, cosmopolitan, and multicultural, but rural folks tend toward a conservative, country-first mentality. Maybe you see yourself in one of those two ways of describing things. But in our area, we are right on the edge, literally on the edge of our million-person county, but not far at all from some beautiful forests and mountains either. Our church property was rural. It used to be a peach orchard, but not anymore. Now everyone moving into town works in the city, commuting from farther and farther away. We are a mix of both of these worlds, and it can be so easy to point out the flaws in the person on the other side of the divide. The urban blames the rural, and the rural blames the city, and along with that, we become more and more divided. We only hang out with the people who think like us. We don't even know people anymore whose views are different from ours because we think they are too extreme. Or we stop being friends online because of all their awful posts. Uh, My wife Emily noticed something my brother was doing online. You've surely noticed here in the state that you can't have single-use bags anymore, and my brother did not like this. So online, the governor would make a post on Facebook. One said, the boss is back because Bruce Springsteen was performing in New Jersey. And my brother would comment, bring back plastic bags. Uh, The governor posts about women and the Supreme Court decisions. And my brother posts, bring back plastic bags. Uh, There's another post from the governor about severe weather. And my brother posts, Please revoke the stupid plastic bag law. It's stupid and annoying. A post about the death of Tony Sirico from The Sopranos is met with, Why cap plastic bags? They never did nothing to you. (laughs) Over and over, my brother was relentless with this. It didn't matter what the governor posted. He was publicly fighting back to change a law about plastic he disagreed with. My brother would never do this in person, though. He would never heckle the governor in public. But online, sure, why not? It's so easy. And for some people, that's enough to divide over. Someone reveals their position about a law or how they feel about the world. And if you disagree, then we aren't friends anymore. It's my way or the highway. We may think this is a very modern problem, thinking of the world this way, but actually when John is writing the book of Revelation and Paul is ministering in Ephesus, this is exactly the kind of divide they would have witnessed. Ephesus was a major port, and all the food being grown in the country had to come to this city and be shipped out to Rome. 
Rome was a massive city, soon to have over a million people there. No city in the world would reach that size until London, England in the 1800s. So much food had to be sent there, and Paul in Ephesus and John at Patmos would see these boats traveling back and forth to feed this enormous city. It wasn't just food either. Rome was a cultural center too, so they'd have cinnamon from Sri Lanka, ivory from Africa, pearls from India, and marble from Greece. Everything you could want in that day and age was found in Rome. But here's the problem. Rome didn't just have luxury goods. They didn't just need food to feed their people. They were the center of a powerful empire that controlled half of the known world. When things were tough and food was scarce, guess who still got the food? Rome. When prices went sky high for wheat, who still got to pay the old price instead of the higher one, no matter how much it hurt everyone else? Rome. The capital prioritized itself over others. They cared more about their own good than the good of the rest of their people. Perhaps the most important good traded to Rome wasn't cargo at all. It was people. Rome was filled with slaves, up to about a third of its population. One quarter of the whole empire was slaves taken mostly through war and then enslaved, uh, enslaving the conquered people. Dr. De Silva says, slave labor was the bedrock upon which the Roman economy was founded. The prosperity of the whole was tainted by its evil roots. Not only slavery, but murder for entertainment was a part of Rome. Christians were put to death by being clothed with the skins of wild beasts and then attacked in the arenas by half-famished dogs. If not that, then Christians were dipped in tar, put on a cross, and set on fire. One historian says the persecution of Christians was so bad, even non-Christian citizens were horrified and tried to intercede on their behalf. Our scripture for today isn't just about 144,000 Christians who are redeemed by God. That number is meant to include all of us who put our faith in Christ. And then three angels come. They, they make three proclamations about worshiping God, uh, Babylon falling, and the suffering of those with the mark of the beast. The first makes sense, but Babylon, why does Bab, what does Babylon have to do with any of this? The writer John is using code here. Babylon is a stand-in for Rome. If he says it directly, he could get in trouble or even be put to death. So he names an ancient evil empire Babylon and then spends the next four chapters describing God's wrath poured out on this city. It's not indiscriminate, though. It's not unfair. God has offered mercy again and again and again, and these people refused to turn away from their evil. They oppressed people, enslaved them, and used war to take what they wanted. The great city of Rome is evil and will be destroyed by God. Now we might think, aha, the city is evil. The urban areas are wrong and God sides with those good country folk. But that's not right either. We might think of the Garden of Eden and how perfect and idyllic it was. We might even think that God's bringing back the garden after he gets rid of all the evil in the world. But you'd be wrong. The story actually ends with the city of God coming down out of heaven. It's not about destroying the urban areas. It's about God's 
vision for these places. John is warning us about any nation that would elevate material possessions, military power, technology, racist beliefs, or any other form of idolatry over the Creator. God calls us to work toward the good of all people. All places, nations, and people will one day be under the complete authority of God. And what will we say on that day? Even the church has to answer for our sins. We don't have a a monopoly on what is good. Sometimes our motives have not been right. And instead of facing the music, we blame God or we blame each other. That's not right. That's what the empire does, not the kingdom of God. So how do we know if we are serving the empire or serving the kingdom of God? This is the core question that comes to us. There's a school out in California that asks that same question to their teachers. They're a community of faith and want to know, do you, as teachers, do a five-minute devotional with Scripture at the start of class and then spend the next hour creating an environment of ruthless competition by announcing everyone's grades in class? Or do you teach them to love their neighbor, helping the people around them to succeed. For us, we might say, do you spend an hour at church and then go to work and only focus on making money? Or do you volunteer to do missions and then treat your family poorly? Do you go to your small group Bible study and criticize your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you see the difference? We can talk about the kingdom and even kingdom values and turn around and do the exact opposite. We can preach mercy to the world and be ruthless with one another. Revelation reminds us that there will be a reckoning and we need lives that connect how we live with kingdom values. The model for us, of course, is always Jesus Christ. Not only did he die in service for us, he helped the poor and sick, challenged the religious and political leaders to stop being so selfish and put love at the center of everything he did. And you can do that too. Not by hating on the city or the country, but by looking inward. Look at your own way of thinking. Is there something you do that is selfish or self-serving? Have you put yourself ahead of others in some way? And I don't mean that you shouldn't take care of yourself. You should, but after you have food and water and clothing and basic shelter, what do you do with the rest? What do you do with your time? Are you living for the kingdom or are you just living like the world? Are you in some way supporting the empire that only cares about itself, or are you following Jesus? Because if it's the empire, know that John's vision in the book of Revelation makes it all too clear where this will lead you. The empire will fall. Rome will suffer. We are to come out, as it says in Revelation 18.4, so that we do not take part in her sin or suffer the plagues that will surely come to her. We must live by, for, and with kingdom values as we follow the example of Jesus Christ. 
Let's end with this. Today we think of Russia and Ukraine as one of the most dangerous places because of war. But there was a time in 2004 when Ukraine was just a few years removed from being a part of Russia that was perhaps even more dangerous. During the presidential election, Viktor Yushchenko challenged the status quo and nearly died for it. On election day, the exit polls showed Yushchenko with a comfortable lead, but through outright fraud, the government had reversed those results. That evening, the state-run television reported, ladies and gentlemen, we announced that the challenger, Viktor Yushchenko, has been decisively defeated. But there was one little problem. On the lower right-hand corner of the television screen, a brave woman raised by death Mute parents delivered a different message in sign language. She signed, I am addressing all the deaf citizens of Ukraine. Don't believe what they say. They are lying, and I am ashamed to translate their lies. Yushchenko is our president. Inspired by that courageous translator, deaf people began what became known as the Orange Revolution. They texted friends, and soon journalists spoke up too. Over the next few weeks, as many as a million people wearing orange flooded the capital city of Kiev to demand new elections. The government finally gave in, held new elections, and this time, Yushchenko emerged as the undisputed winner. One brave woman stood up for what was right, to face the danger. This is what the book of Revelation is about. It's not here to scare us or force us into church because of fire and brimstone. It's a book meant to inspire us and give us courage, even in the face of powerful forces that threaten us. Don't let a twisted world win. Live a moral and righteous life. Do what is right as we live for the kingdom of God. It starts with you when you choose to follow Jesus no matter the cost. Amen? Amen. Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.